section fifteen of the fortunes of nigel by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirteen let the proud salmon gorge the feathered hook then strike and then you have him he will wince spin out your line that it shall whistle from you some twenty yards or so yet you shall have him mary you must have patience the stout rock which is his trust hath edges something sharp and the deep pool hath ooze and sludge enough to mar your fishing bless you are more careful albion or the double kings it is seldom that a day of pleasure upon review seems altogether so exquisite as the partaker of the festivity may have felt it while passing over him nigel oliphant at least did not feel it so and it required a visit from his new acquaintance lord dalgarno to reconcile him entirely to himself but this visit took place early after breakfast and his friend's discourse was prefaced with a question how he liked the company of the preceding evening why excellently well said lord glenvarlock only i should have liked the wit better had it appeared to flow more freely every man's invention seemed on the stretch and each extravagant simile seemed to set one half of your men of wit into a brown study to produce something which should out herod it and wherefore not said lord dalgarno or what are these fellows fit for but to play the intellectual gladiators before us he of them who declares himself recreant should damn him be restricted to muddy ale and the patronage of the waterman's company i promise you that many a pretty fellow has been mortally wounded with a quibble or carwitchet at the mermaid and sent from thence in a pitiable estate to wit's hospital in the vintry where they languish to this day amongst fools and aldermen it may be so said lord nigel yet i could swear by my honour that last night i seemed to be in company with more than one man whose genius and learning ought either to have placed him higher in our company or to have withdrawn him altogether from a scene where sooth to speak his part seemed unworthily subordinate now out upon your tender conscience said lord dalgarno and the fico for such outcasts the parnassus why these are the very leavings of that noble banquet of pickled herrings and rhenish which lost london so many of her principal witmongers and bards of misrule what would you have said had you seen nasher green when you interest yourself about the poor mimes you supped with last night suffice it they had their drench in their doze and they drank and slept as much as may save them from any necessity of eating till evening when if they are industrious they will find patrons or players to feed them the condition of men of wit and talents was never more melancholy than about this period their lives were so irregular and their means of living so precarious that they were alternately rioting in debauchery or encountering and struggling with the meanest necessities two or three lost their lives by a surfeit brought on that fatal banquet of rhenish wine and pickled herrings which is familiar to those who study the lighter literature of that age the whole history is a most melancholy picture of genius degraded at once by its own debaucheries and the patronage of heartless rakes and profligates 
for the rest of their wants they can be at no loss for cold water while the new river head holds good and your doublets of parnassus are eternal in duration virgil and horace had more efficient patronage said nigel ay replied his countryman but these fellows are neither virgil nor horace besides we have other spirits of another sort to whom i will introduce you on some early occasion our swan of avon hath sung his last but we have stout old ben with as much learning and genius as ever prompted the treader of sock and buskin it is not however of him i mean now to speak but i come to pray you of dear love to row up with me as far as richmond where two or three of the gallants whom you saw yesterday mean to give music and syllabubs to a set of beauties with some curious bright eyes among them such i promise you as might win an astrologer from his worship of the galaxy my sister leads the bevy to whom i desire to present you she hath her admirers at court and is regarded though i might dispense with sounding her praise as one of the beauties of the time there was no refusing an engagement where the presence of the party invited late so low in his own regard was demanded by a lady of quality one of the choice beauties of the time lord glenvarlock accepted as was inevitable and spent a lively day among the gay and the fair he was the gallant in attendance for the day upon his friend's sister the beautiful countess of blackchester who aimed at once at superiority in the realms of fashion of power and of wit she was indeed considerably older than her brother and had probably completed her sixth lustres but the deficiency in extreme youth was more than atoned for in the most precise and curious accuracy in attire an early acquaintance with every foreign mode and a peculiar gift in adapting the knowledge which she acquired to her own particular features and complexion at court she knew as well as any lady in the circle the precise tone moral political learned or jocose in which it was proper to answer the monarch according to his prevailing humour and was supposed to have been very active by her personal interest in procuring her husband a high situation which the gouty old viscount could never have deserved by any merit of his own commonplace conduct and understanding it was far more easy for this lady than for her brother to reconcile so young a courtier as lord glenvarlock to the customs and habits of a sphere so new to him in all civilized society the females of distinguished rank and beauty give the tone to manners and through these even to morals lady blackchester had besides interest either in the court or over the court for its source could not be well traced which created friends and overawed those who might have been disposed to play the part of enemies at one time she was understood to be closely leagued with the buckingham family with whom her brother still maintained a great intimacy and although some coldness had taken place betwixt the countess and the duchess of buckingham so that they were little seen together and the former seemed considerably to have withdrawn herself into privacy it was whispered that lady blackchester's interest with the great favourite was not diminished in consequence of her breach with his lady our accounts of the private court intrigues of that period and of the persons to whom they were entrusted are not full enough to enable us to pronounce upon the various reports which rose out of the circumstances we have detailed it is enough to say that lady blackchester possessed great influence on the circle around her both from her beauty her abilities and her reputed talents for court intrigue and that nigel oliphant was not long of experiencing its power as he became a slave in some degree 
to that species of habit which carries so many men into a certain society at a certain hour without expecting or receiving any particular degree of gratification or even amusement his life for several weeks may be thus described the ordinary was no bad introduction to the business of the day and the young lord quickly found that if the society there was not always irreproachable still it formed the most convenient and agreeable place of meeting with the fashionable parties with whom he visited hyde park the theatres and other places of public resort or joined the gay and glittering circle which lady blackchester had assembled around her neither did he entertain the same scrupulous horror which led him originally even to hesitate entering into a place where gaming was permitted but on the contrary began to admit the idea that as there could be no harm done in beholding such recreation when only indulged in to a moderate degree so from a parity of reasoning there could be no objection to joining in it always under the same restrictions but the young lord was a scotsman habituated to early reflection and totally unaccustomed to any habit which inferred a careless risk or profuse waste of money profusion was not his natural vice or one likely to be acquired in the course of his education and in all probability while his father anticipated with noble horror the idea of his son approaching the gaming-table he was more startled at the idea of his becoming a gaining than a losing adventurer the second according to his principles had a termination a sad one indeed in the loss of temporal fortune the first quality went on increasing the evil which he dreaded and perilled at once both body and soul however the old lord might ground his apprehension it was so far verified by his son's conduct that from an observer of the various games of chance which he witnessed he came by degrees by moderate hazards and small bets or wages to take a certain interest in them nor could it be denied that his rank and expectations entitled him to hazard a few pieces for his game went no deeper against persons who from the readiness with which they staked their money might be supposed well able to afford to lose it it chanced to perhaps according to the common belief his evil genius had so decreed that nigel's adventures were remarkably successful he was temperate cautious cool-headed had a strong memory and a ready power of calculation was besides of a daring and intrepid character one upon whom no one that had looked even slightly or spoken to though but hastily would readily have ventured to practise anything approaching to trick or which required to be supported by intimidation while lord glenvarlock chose to play men played with him regularly or according to the phrase upon the square and as he found his luck change or wished to hazard his good fortune no farther the more professed voters of fortune who frequented the house of monsieur le chevalier de saint prise beaujeu did not venture openly to express their displeasure at his rising a winner but when this happened repeatedly the gamesters murmured amongst themselves equally at the caution and the success of the young scotsman and he became far from being a popular character among their society it was no slight inducement to the continuance of this most evil habit when it was once in some degree acquired that it seemed to place lord glenvarlock haughty as he naturally was beyond the necessity of subjecting himself to farther pecuniary obligations which his prolonged residence in london must otherwise have rendered necessary he had to solicit from the minister certain forms of office which were to render his sign manual effectually useful and these though they could not be denied were delayed in such a manner as to lead nigel to believe there was some secret opposition which occasioned the demur in his business 
his own impulse was to have appeared at court a second time with the king's signed manual in his pocket and to have appealed to his majesty himself whether the delay of the public officers ought to render his royal generosity unavailing but the lord huntingland that good old peer who had so frankly interfered in his behalf on a former occasion and whom he occasionally visited greatly dissuaded him from a similar adventure and exhorted him quietly to await the deliverance of the ministers which should set him free from dancing attendants in london lord dalgarno joined his father in deterring his young friend from a second attendance at court at least till he was reconciled with the duke of buckingham a matter in which he said addressing his father i have offered my poor assistance without being able to prevail on lord nigel to make any not even the least submission to the duke of buckingham by my faith and i hold the laddie to be in the right aunt malcolm answered the stout old scots lord what right hath buckingham or to speak plainly the son of sir george villiers to expect homage and fealty from one more noble than himself by eight quarters i heard him myself on no reason that i could perceive term lord nigel his enemy it will never be by my counsel that the lad speaks soft word to him till he recalls the hard one that is precisely my advice to lord glenvarlock answered lord delgarno but then you will admit my dear father that it would be the risk of extremity for our friend to return into the presence the duke being his enemy better to leave it with me to take off the heat of the distemperature with which some pickthanks have persuaded the duke to regard our friend if thou canst persuade buckingham of his error malcolm said his father for once i will say there hath been kindness and honesty in court service i have oft told your sister and yourself that in the general i esteem it as lightly as may be you need not doubt my doing my best in nigel's case answered lord dalgarno but you must think my dear father i must needs use slower and gentler means than those by which you became a favourite twenty years ago by my faith i am afraid thou wilt answered his father i tell thee malcolm i would sooner wish myself in the grave than doubt thine honesty or honour yet somehow it hath chanced that honest ready serveth hath not the same acceptance at court which it has in my younger time and yet you rise there oh the time permits not your old world service said lord dalgarno we have now no daily insurrections no nightly attempts at assassination as were the fashion in the scottish court your prompt and uncourteous sword-in-hand attendance on the sovereign is no longer necessary and would be as unbeseeming as your old-fashioned serving-men with their badges broadswords and bucklers would be at a court mask besides father loyal haste hath its inconveniences i have heard and from royal lips too that when you stuck your dagger into the traitor ruthven it was with such little consideration that the point ran a quarter of an inch into the royal buttock the king never talks of it but he rubs the injured part and quotes his infandum renoari dolorum but this comes of old fashions and of wearing a long lillsdale winger instead of a poniard of parma yet this my dear father you call prompt and valiant service the king i am told could not sit upright for a fortnight though all the cushions in falkland were placed in his chair of state and the provost of dun from lines borrowed to the boot of all it is a lie said the old earl a false lie forge it who list it is true i wore a dagger of service by my side and not a bodkin like yours to pick one's teeth withal and for prompt service odds nouns it should be prompt to be useful when kings are crying treason and murder with the screech of a half-throttled hen but you young courtiers know naught of these matters and are little better than the 
green geese they bring over from the indies whose only merit to their masters is to repeat their own words after them a pack of mouthers and flatterers and earwigs well i'm old and unable to mend else i would break all off and hear the tay once more flinging himself over the campsy lynn but there's your dinner-bell father said lord dalgarner which if the venison i sent you prove seasonable is at least as sweet a sound follow me then youngsters if you list said the old earl and strode on from the alcove in which this conversation was held towards the house followed by the two young men in their private discourse lord dalgarna had little trouble in dissuading nigel from going immediately to court while on the other hand the offers he made him of a previous introduction to the duke of buckingham were received by lord glenvarlock with a positive and contemptuous refusal his friend shrugged his shoulders as one who claims the merit of having given to an obstinate friend the best counsel and desires to be held free of the consequences of his pertinacity as for the father his table indeed and his best liquor of which he was more profuse than necessary were at the command of his young friend as well as his best advice and assistance in the prosecution of his affairs but lord huntingland's interest was more apparent than real and the credit he had acquired by his gallant defence of the king's person was so carelessly managed by himself and so easily eluded by the favourites and ministers of the sovereign that except upon one or two occasions when the king was in some measure taken by surprise as in the case of lord glenvarlock the royal bounty was never efficiently extended either to himself or to his friends there never was a man said lord delgarna whose shrewder knowledge of the english court saw where his father's deficiency lay that had it so perfectly in his power to have made his way to the pinnacle of fortune as my poor father he had acquired a right to build up a staircase step by step slowly and surely letting every boon which he begged year after year become in its turn the resting-place for the next annual grant but your fortunes shall not shipwreck upon the same coast nigel he would conclude if i have fewer means of influence than my father has or rather had till he threw them away for butts of sack hawks hounds and such carrion i can far better than he improve that which i possess and that my dear nigel is all engaged in your behalf do not be surprised or offended that you now see me less than formerly the stag hunting is commenced and the prince looks that i should attend him more frequently i must also maintain my attendance on the duke that i may have an opportunity of pleading your cause when occasion shall permit i have no cause to plead before the duke said nigel gravely i have said so repeatedly why meant the phrase no otherwise thou churlish and suspicious disputant answered delgarna then as i am now pleading the duke's cause with thee surely i only mean to claim a share in our royal master's favourite benediction beati pacifici upon several occasions lord glenvarlock's conversations both with the old earl and his son took a similar turn and had a like conclusion he sometimes felt as if betwixt the one and the other not to mention the more unseen and unboasted but scarce less certain influence of lady blackchester his affair simple as it had become might have been somehow accelerated but it was equally impossible to doubt the rough honesty of the father and the eager and officious friendship of lord delgarno nor was it easy to suppose that the countenance of the lady by whom he was received with such distinction would be wanting could it be effectual in his service nigel was further sensible of the truth of what lord dalgarna often pointed out that the favourite being supposed to be his enemy every petty officer through whose hands his affair must necessarily pass would desire to make a merit of throwing obstacles in his way which he could only surmount by steadiness and patience unless he preferred closing the breach 
or as lord delgarno called it making his peace with the duke of buckingham nigel might and doubtless would have had recourse to the advice of his friend george harriet upon this occasion having found it so advantageous formerly but the only time he saw him after their visit to court he found the worthy citizen engaged in hasty preparations for a journey to paris upon business of great importance in the way of his profession and by an especial commission from the court and the duke of buckingham which was likely to be attended with considerable profit the good man smiled as he named the duke of buckingham he had been he said pretty sure that his disgrace in that quarter would not be of long duration lord glenvarlock expressed himself rejoiced at that reconciliation observing that it had been a most painful reflection to him that master harriet should in his behalf have incurred the dislike perhaps exposed himself to the ill offices of so powerful a favourite my lord said harriet for your father's son i would do much and yet truly if i know myself i would do as much as and risk as much for the sake of justice in the case of a much more insignificant person as i have ventured for yours but as we shall not meet for some time i must commit to your own wisdom the farther prosecution of this matter and thus they took a kind and affectionate leave of each other there were other changes in lord glenvarlock's situation which require to be noticed his present occupations and the habits of amusement which he had acquired rendered his living so far in the city a considerable inconvenience he may also have become a little ashamed of his cabin on paul's wharf and desirous of being lodged somewhat more according to his quality for this purpose he had hired a small apartment near the temple he was nevertheless almost sorry for what he had done when he observed that his removal appeared to give some pain to john christie and a great deal to his cordial and officious landlady the former who was grave and saturnine in everything he did only hoped that all had been to lord glenvarlock's mind and that he had not left them on account of any unbeseeming negligence on their part but the tear twinkled in dame nelly's eye while she recounted the various improvements she had made in the department of express purpose to render it more convenient to his lordship there was a great sea-chest she said had been taken upstairs to the shopman's garret though it left the poor lad scarce eighteen inches of opening to creep betwixt it and his bed and heaven knew she did not whether it could ever be brought down that narrow stair again then the turning the closet into an alcove had cost a matter of twenty round shillings and to be sure to any other lodger but his lordship the closet was more convenient there was all the linen too which she had bought on purpose but heaven's will be done she was resigned everybody likes marks of personal attachment and nigel whose heart really smote him as if in his rising fortunes he were disdaining the lowly accommodations and the civilities of the humble friends which had been but lately actual favours failed not by every assurance in his power and by as liberal payment as they could be prevailed upon to accept to alleviate the soreness of their feelings at his departure and a parting kiss from the fair lips of his hostess sealed his forgiveness ritchie manipoles lingered behind his master to ask whether in case of need john christie could help a canny scotsman to a passage back to his own country and receiving assurance of john's interest to that effect he said at parting he would remind him of his promise soon for said he if my lord is not weary of this london life i can one that is littleless it myself and i am weel determined to see arthur's seat again ere i am many weeks older End of chapter 13